0: Welcome to episode 623 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast, brought to you by DigitalMediaZone.com. I'm Josh Pollard, and this is the show that puts you in control of your favorite movies, music, shows, and games. Well, welcome back, everybody. It's been a couple of weeks since we've gotten a show together. Vacations and things like that have come in the way, but I'm really glad that we Get to put out a show this week because some rather large news in the gaming space to discuss. But that'll pretty much be our last story of the week. As usual, we're going to start off with a little bit of listener feedback. And first one, and really, well, it's actually the only one for this week, is a piece of feedback from regular commenter Gary. I'm really just going to summarize his email. He was giving me more suggestions on sci-fi books to be reading, and he recommended a 15-book sci-fi series called uh, Expeditionary Force. The author is Craig Allenson, and he mentions that it's available, all 15 books are available on Kindle Unlimited. And Kindle Unlimited is actually a service that that I subscribe to, really my wife subscribes to I guess it's me, it's a shared Amazon account, whatever that uh is essentially like Netflix for books. but as long as we've been subscribing, which has been years now, I've assumed that it was only for ebooks. Jen is a voracious reader, she reads a ton the I believe it's 11 or $12 a month that we pay for Kindle Unlimited it has made sense forever because of how much she reads and, and the amount of content that, that's there. It's not everything, but there's a lot of, of of books that she enjoys reading there. So checked it out. Uh, Gary was right. I wasn't positive because mm, I believe Gary is in another country. So a lot of times digital services like this, the libraries are different. but. He is right. The entire series uh this Expeditionary Force series is available in the US on Kindle Unlimited. And it got me wondering, what if I go to Kindle Unlim- Unlimited, get the first book in the series as an ebook, and then look for it in the Audible app? And when I did that, the option under Audible was play, not purchase or anything like that. It was just play. So, what I, I what I think that means is that with Kindle Unlimited, if there are audiobook versions of the e eBooks that you're looking for, you can listen to them for free on Audible as part of your Kindle Unlimited subscription. Maybe that's not new news, but if it is news to you, then I wanted to make sure to pass that along to everybody. I'm going to continue to look into this because. That's pretty awesome if this is actually how this works and how it's going to work for lots of books that I might be interested in. So, Gary, thank you for the recommendation of the book series. It's on my list now. And uh, also, thanks for kind of giving me the idea. He didn't really like he didn't actually say go and listen to the to the audiobook version. I just wondered, I don't know, maybe it's there on Kindle, too. And let's see what happens. And. I was pleasantly surprised. So thank you, Gary, for sparking the idea in in addition to the book recommendation. So let's get into the news. And of course, we're going to start with some video news. And the news just keeps coming from Netflix and how they really are trying to do what I think makes the most sense for their customers amidst their password sharing crackdown. Obviously. There's a lot of people that are upset about Netflix trying to prevent people from sharing passwords to accounts, but it does make sense. It's always kind of been against their terms of service, and now they're just enforcing it. And so they are doing more things to try to help people get in line with with the way the contracts are supposed to work. And so previously, we've discussed how you could migrate all of your profile data, so that's your viewing history, my list, game data, all of that from the, like, let's just say that you're an adult child who's been password sharing with your parents' account, and now you're moving in with a roommate who's maybe been doing the same thing, and now you're both going, ah, uh, what, what do we do here? And so maybe your roommate has already uh, signed up for their own Netflix account. And when they did that, they could have taken their profile from their parents' Netflix account and turned it into a brand new Netflix account. It works great. It's a really smart thing that they uh, implemented prior to all of this happening. That's great for your roommate, but what about you? And because maybe now that you're a roommate with this person, it's totally. Fair for the two of you to be sharing one Netflix account. You live in the same place, but you can't migrate to an existing account. It had to be a new one. That's the news here. They've now added the ability for you to migrate your profile data from one existing Netflix account into another existing Netflix account. And I, 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 didn't really make that distinction previously when we had talked about this story uh, previously, because I thought, well, of, of course, like people are just going to move from the account that they've been sharing from and create a new one. But that's not necessarily the case in every situation. So now they've they've really come up with a solution for both problems, whether you're trying to make your own account or you and a roommate are trying to migrate into a new shared account that is fully in line with, with the terms and conditions of how Netflix expects people to use those accounts. So really really cool new uh functionality here. It, it's hard to call like a- account migration a really cool new feature, but in this case it's an incredibly useful one for people who are trying to do the right thing when it comes to streaming Netflix. So that was some good news for this week, but here's, without a doubt, the worst news that we have to report on this week, and that is that Plex, a company that we have talked about so many times on this show, really, it the, the number of times that we've talked about Plex, it, it might have surpassed the number of times that we've talked about Windows Media Center, which is the product that caused this whole site, this whole podcast to be created way back in two thousand eight or so, depending on you know whether you're going by the the podcast or the site's inception, the DMZ's been around since oh nine, but we've been talking about Plex forever. Richard and I both use Plex we We love the the app and and service that it provides, allowing you to create your own library of your own digital media, whether that's movies or videos or photos all of that. And over the last few years, they've really started to press into the fast space, fast being free ad supported television as both a service to the users because it provides you free access to lots of streaming video content, but also as a way for the company to generate revenue. The unfortunate news that we've got to report on this week is Plex has laid off more than 20% of its staff this week. That's 37 people who lost their jobs. And they're saying that the layoff impacts every single department. So it would be real easy to get snarky and say, oh, they probably just laid off all their customer support people. And I may have even sort of made that joke. Not exactly. Um, on on social media this week. But no, it it's really it's every department. There were engineers, there were marketing. There they're like a- across the board, people lost their jobs this week who worked at Plex. And that's always sad to hear. And we of course hope that all of those people bounce back quickly and find a, a new place to work and and a more uh solid footing where they might land. And these are potentially people from across the world. Plex uh Plex had employees in numerous countries around the world. So uh potentially uh people being hurt all over the place here. So uh we really hope the best for all of the, the people impacted here. Let's talk a little bit about what this means for Plex and, and where we we think the reason for this might be. I think the biggest reason is they've really been looking at that fast network, you know, the the free ad supported streaming as a large revenue source for the company. The only other way that they're, that that's probably the only other large way that they're making money is from people paying for Plex Pass, which you can pay monthly for, or you can buy a lifetime subscription and lifetime subscriptions. Those usually aren't great for the company, they're, they're a really great way to like get a quick infusion of cash. But once you're a lifetime subscriber, you know, there are people who have had Plex lifetime subscriptions for probably 10 years now. And Plex hasn't made any money off of those people unless like since that subscription, unless those people have also been using the ad supported television. So the the problem with depending so much on ad supported revenue is really since 2020 the the rate of return for companies across the board like internet websites like the digital media zone everybody across the board has seen ad revenue rates drop dramatically and plex is impacted like every other company that depends on ad revenue it's just it dropped significantly and it hasn't really come meaningfully back yet, which is why you've seen so many companies push other revenue sources because ads really aren't doing it for companies right now. so Plex didn't just say, well let's just lay off a bunch of people and that should fix all of our problems That's not this the situation here they're looking at restructuring they're changing what their product focus is going to be. They haven't laid out any of those details. They're not required to share any of that with us. We hope, as Plex fans, uh, that they're going to come up with a better solution here that that can make them more financially solvent and, uh, and produce some uh, great products that us as users want to continue to use. So let's move on from that and jump into some audio news for this episode. And both of these stories are actually about Tidal. Tidal's an audio streaming, a music streaming service that we don't talk about a ton. Their their niche is has always been super high quality streaming. Now we've talked a lot over the last year, two years about Spotify maybe finally, eventually re- releasing a hi-fi plan. Apple Music started streaming um, lossless quality audio. Amazon Music Unlimited started doing it within the last couple of years. Well, Tidal was the first one to really do this. And so Tidal has two plans. Their Hi-Fi plan is their basic plan. And that's been $9.99 a month for a long time. And then they have their Hi-Fi Plus plan, which is the really high quality stuff. And that that plan is $19.99 a month for, for access to that. And these are just for single user accounts, by the way. So the the first quick news bit is that the title hi fi plan, that monthly subscription is increasing by one dollar a month from $9.99 to 1099 starting in August. If that sounds familiar, it should, because that makes titles base offering now come in at the same price that Apple Music and Amazon Music Unlimited have been for the last few months. So, totally makes sense. This was expected once the other services all started doing this. We expected the rest of them to follow suit. Why wouldn't you? Uh, you you're just making the price the same as the competition, that's generally not a a, a terrible thing that your customers are going to freak out about. And by the way, just on the last episode, we talked about how we fully expect Spotify to be doing this soon. But my guess is that they're going to wait to do that until they're actually ready to launch their hi-fi plan. And there were rumors that their hi-fi plan could be $20 a month, which would really make Spotify uh, their service offerings directly line up against titles if they do that. So we'll see. We expect that to be this coming fall when Spotify finally gets on board with Spotify Hi-Fi. Now, the other audio news story for this week is Title is making a change to their HiFi Plus plan. The way that HiFi Plus has worked previously and still does for the most part is they are essentially taking regular recordings and upscaling them like we're we're fairly used to the concept of like taking a dvd and upscaling it to hd or taking a blu-ray and upscaling it to 4k they've been doing a similar thing with a large part of their library and now they are switching their library some of it it's going to take time over to using flac and flac which is an acronym flac it stands for the free lossless audio codec and with with flac which is really the, like it's the open source way of doing digital lossless audio if you want to take your cd and and store a file on your computer at the at a theoretically lossless audio format, FLAC is probably the way you're doing it because you can do it for free. With titles' use of FLAC, they're planning to offer music at up to 24-bit and 192 hertz, so incredibly high playback quality. They say that right now they have over 6 million tracks already available in FLAC, and every single day they're adding more and more of their gigantic library into using FLAC. Now, if you're going to use this, like you better be on a good connection because FLAC files are roughly four times the size of MP3s. That's just what it takes to have truly lossless audio codecs because one of the reasons that MP3s are so much smaller is because. You're losing bits, like you are losing part of the audio. That's why it doesn't sound as good as flack. If you can notice, some people can notice, some people say that they don't. How do you get access to this? Well, if you're already a title user and you're on iOS, you can use their beta iOS app to get access to this right now. If that doesn't apply to you, like maybe you're an Android user or you don't want to mess around with beta apps, then everybody's going to be getting this in August. At some point in August, we don't have an actual release date yet, but sometime in August, the HiFi Plus plan from Tidal will start using the FLAC files that they have in their system. Okay, time for the last story of the week. And it's by far the biggest one. It's the one we've been waiting for. Frankly, I probably could have gotten a podcast out last week, but I I chose not to because, well, we were waiting to find out what was going to happen with the Microsoft acquisition of Activision Blizzard because it had been in court in the United States because the FTC went to court in hopes of getting a preliminary injunction against Microsoft to stop their acquisition of Activision Blizzard. There were like six days of trials, all sorts of really interesting things that came out of that. And frankly, I, I don't often send people here, but I really think that of all of the sources reporting on this, Tom Warren over at The Verge did the best job of covering this. He had all sorts of information that he was able to get access to and and really did a great job uh, reporting on this whole ordeal. So go check out his writing over at The Verge. We'll link to a couple of stories here to talk about today's big announcement about the fight. But he's got way more from the last couple of weeks and there's some really interesting reading in there. So today, July 11th, Judge Jacqueline Scott Corley issued her ruling, and in it, she sided with Microsoft. She basically told the FTC, sorry, you haven't made uh, a good enough argument that Microsoft acquiring Activision Blizzard is going to harm competition. And if you go back and and read some of the things that came out of this trial, oh my gosh, like it seemed pretty obvious that this was the way this was going to go. Now, I want to be completely fair because while I'm happy about this and I'm I'm really glad that this is the decision, I I do want to acknowledge that there's there's been some interesting tidbits in both this trial and the one in the UK uh with uh, the Competition and Markets Authority in in the UK. It's the UK's version of the FTC basically. There is a tiny little detail that apparently this judge, her son, works for Microsoft. Now, I don't know exactly what their son does, and it's been like a week and a half since I've seen this come out. I didn't even independently verify that that is for sure true. But just to make sure that there aren't any PlayStation fanboys who are going to come at me over all of this, I want to throw it out there that it it has been said that her son Works for Microsoft, not for Xbox specifically, but for Microsoft. Now, there's two competing uh, things there. One is, well, the FTC is the organization that decided which district to file this complaint in, they basically chose this judge. If they didn't do their homework and really thought that the judges that the judge having a familial connection. So Microsoft uh would be bad well then that's kind of them not doing their own due diligence I think but on the other side of this there are people within the CMA if I and this is really going back because this was back in April that all, everything went down with Microsoft and the CMA I believe someone at the CMA used to be a lawyer for Sony so like there is some shenanigans going on if you even want to call it that on both sides here. So if if you see the fanboys going crazy, which they're always going to do, I just kind of want to make all of that uh, information available there. Everyone knows I'm a bigger fan of of Xbox than PlayStation. I wanted this to go through because I do genuinely think that it will be better for gamers and for Activision Blizzard employees. And that's really one of the bigger aspects of this. Bobby Kotick is not a, like, he has not run Activision Blizzard well in terms of caring for his employees. Microsoft seems to do a better job of that. And I, so I, I think that Microsoft being at the helm of Activision Blizzard will be better for the employees of Activision Blizzard. It also could mean Better things for Xbox, which I mean, y- you can say that I only want that because I'm a Microsoft fanboy or something. Okay, uh, go ahead and make that argument. But also, as Microsoft admitted throughout all of these trials, they're in third place in the console war and they always have been. So, is it really such a bad thing to be wanting uh, a little bit more good things to be happening to the company that's in third place? third place in a three-way race that, that that doesn't seem unreasonable because i want there to be better competition and while it's very easy to say well okay josh but when when sony and microsoft do these sorts of acquisitions it just means that they make these games exclusive yes and i'm on the record as saying that i don't like exclusives but in some of these cases and in in particular Call of Duty, Microsoft has said we will not make Call of Duty an Xbox exclusive game. They will work with Sony for at least the next 10 years to ensure that Call of Duty continues to be available on PlayStation. They've even said that they're going to bring Call of Duty to the Switch. I have no idea how they're going to do that unless they're just planning to do Call of Duty mobile on the Switch Switch. Which would be fine, by the way. Call of Duty Mobile's already a really good game, but to have it on switch, I don't know. I might actually play that a little bit more frequently when I'm like not at home and have the switch. Who knows? Maybe. but by and large, I think this is generally a good thing, especially when you look at the other side of this. A lot of Activision Blizzards biggest titles, they're not even console games anyway. they're mobile games or they're PC games. Starcraft. World of Warcraft, those are PC games. They're not coming to Xbox and PlayStation anyway. Obviously, that's not it. They've they've got other titles uh, like Diablo, which is on uh, PlayStation and Xbox. They've got Overwatch. Like there are other games in their portfolio that, at some point in the future, Microsoft could say, hmm, "Yeah, these are exclusive now," but we don't know. If they will, I do think it's fair to assume that for all of them except for Call of Duty, they will make them console exclusives. Kind of wish they wouldn't. Kind of wish Sony and Microsoft would stop doing that, but that's not reality. So I do expect future games like that to likely be console exclusives because that's just generally how this works. But Microsoft has been the one to bring more of their games to PlayStation than than Sony has the other direction. So there's always a chance. There is always a chance. Okay, so that likely does clear the way for for this acquisition to pass in the United States. It's not 100 percent sealed at this point in time at 830 p.m. on July 11th because the FTC could appeal. They absolutely could appeal. It doesn't seem like that's going to happen though but i keep referencing the CMA over in the UK that's the other big sticking block so in april the the CMA blocked the acquisition of activision blizzard and the the two organizations the CMA and microsoft were scheduled to go to court on july 28th to uh, basically do the same sort of thing that microsoft just did with the FTC. They've decided to pause that that July 28th uh court date might not happen because now that the FTC is basically lost the CMA seems a little bit more willing to negotiate with Microsoft. So, Brad Park from Microsoft issued a statement, so did the CMA. They're both in talks now, and it seems likely they're going to come together. They're going to have a solution to all of this. And sometime within the next week or so, we could actually see this deal finally close. Hallelujah. Won't that be a great day to celebrate <laughs> when we can finally stop talking about this and hopefully start seeing some of these Activision Blizzard games come into Game Pass because that's the other thing that I'm really looking forward to as an Xbox player. Okay, well, that's it for our news this week. want to just quickly jump into what's going on in my entertainment center. On the gaming side, it's pretty much just been Diablo 4, a little bit of NHL. Like, those are my two right now. Uh, well, that's not entirely true. I have been playing a little bit of racing games, a little bit of Project Cars 2. Yes, I know there's a Project Cars 3, but I own Project Cars 2. A little bit of Forza Horizon 5. I'll get into why I've been playing more of those on a future episode. Uh, in terms of watching TV, we finished season one of Silo on Apple TV. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Absolutely great series. I believe I read that it's already been renewed for a second season. I'm really glad about that because it's been so good. You should go out and read the books if you like Silo. uh, It's a three-book series. It's really, really good. In terms of books, I finished iRobot. I loved it. Let me tell you, if you've never read iRobot, you should for sure read iRobot. If you've read it before, but it's been a long time, you should reread iRobot. It seems so pertinent to the world that we're living in today especially as we're seeing generative ai become more of a more of a real thing nowadays go and check it out and and as you're reading remind yourself that these short stories were written in the 50s in the 1950s and Isaac Asimov the author was already way back then considering the potential scenarios of what could happen if we come up with true general AI and put it into robots and what that could actually look like and it's fascinating it is so so interesting so go and check out iRobot if you've seen the movie from Will Smith that's really just one part of it like the the book is a collection of short stories and they're all really really good check it out I've started a new book, not the one recommended by Gary yet. Again, that's on my list. Instead, my wife, Jen, was really excited for me to read one that she recently read and loved that's called Dark Matter by Blake Crouch. I think there's two books maybe in this series, or maybe he just has two books that he's written that she liked. I'm probably halfway through Dark Matter so far, and I'm really, really liking it. all I'll really say is it's related to physics um, and like the multiverse and Schrodinger's cat sort of experimentation, that sort of area of science. This is not space sci-fi, even though it's called dark matter. At least it hasn't been so far. Um, dark matter being the stuff in space that we can't actually see, but we know that it's there. It's been really, really interesting so far. So that there's another book suggestion for all of you. If you want to get a hold of us, all of our contact information is over at the website www.thedigitalmediazone.com. You can email us at entertainment20 at thedigitalmediazone.com. You can find us on social. I'm at Josh Pollard on Twitter and on Mastodon Richard is now only on Mastodon at Richard Gunther over there also. And the website is at DigimediaZone on Twitter. I promise soon we'll get back to live streaming some of this stuff, and I'm trying to get as much of this up on our YouTube channel also. So if you're on YouTube, please do us a favor, head on over there, like and subscribe. For sure, subscribe to the channel and hopefully watch. The videos of these uh, podcast episodes if you prefer that medium instead. You can watch us on your giant TV instead of just listening to us in your earbuds. Well, that is going to do it for episode 623. I'm Josh Pollard, and hopefully next episode I will be rejoined by my regular co-host Richard Gunther. Thanks for listening to Entertainment 2.0. Adios.